you know, we are not looking only at the issue of Palestine to be free from the occupation. We want to work for justice everywhere. As Martin Luther King says, any injustice anywhere is a fringe on justice everywhere. My guest today is Zugbi Zugbi, the founder and director of the WIAM Palestinian Conflict Transformation Center. WIAM is located in the Palestinian city of Bethlehem in the West Bank. WIAM was founded to help resolve internal conflicts within the Palestinian population, as well as to help foster international dialogue. Zugbi earned his master's degree in peace studies and conflict resolution at the uh, Notre Dame University in Indiana, United States, and he's married to an American woman and they have four children. Unfortunately, his wife is prevented from living with him in Palestine, and their 32-year-long marriage survives only by way of her abbreviated visits. In fact, she was about to be deported just two days after our conversation was recorded, and she was. A bit of explanation is needed for the uneven flow of the conversation, which took place this last uh, Thursday and Friday, January 26th and 27th. On the first day, nine Palestinians were killed by Israeli soldiers in the uh, West Bank city of Jenin uh, just hours before we started speaking. And I wasn't aware of it, but violence was erupting across the West Bank. Um, and tear gas was seeping into his office during our conversation. He continued on, but the internet did fail several times and was unable to record his, his responses. Um, I was able to, uh, we again started again on Friday and I was able to piecemeal together our recorded conversations to produce this podcast. Um, but neither of us knew at the time that yet another tragedy was about to unfold as a few hours later, a Palestinian shot and killed several, seven actually, um, Israeli Israelis who were praying in a synagogue on Friday night. And so the violence continues and Zugbi continues his work in nonviolence as well. And he never gives up hope or gives up faith that eventually Palestinians will be able to live freely under self-rule <clears throat> and peacefully with Israelis as neither people is going anywhere. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with myself and Zugbi Zugbi. Hello, Zugbi. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to see you. Great to see you. Zugbi Zugbi. I can call you by either name, correct? Yes. I must also ask about the family first. So your children, your wife, how are um, things? My children and my wife send their greetings to you and all the Thank people you. who listen to us. And wishing you a good time and hopefully better time this year than before. And yes. for the whole world to see uh, an end of conflict and wars uh, and occupation. And to move forward and to see once and for all the arms of dialogue to replace the dialogue of arms. Um, the arms the, of dialogue to replace the dialogue of arms. arms that's, yes. that's, very, that's a very powerful sentence. We, we pray and we hope and we wish and we work. I wanted to say that it's so comforting to see you and to know that you are still out there uh, working for peaceful resolution and working to bring peace and end of conflict. But 
I'm calling you on a day where it turns out is one of the most conflicted days in probably the year in West Bank. So we'll get into that, but um, uh, I'd like to start by beginning at the beginning if we can, and uh, we'll work up to what's going on today. So the, you are the founder and the executive director, I think that's still your title, of the WIAM Palestinian Conflict Transformation Center, which I love the word transformation. Um, that's not usually thrown in in that in that sentence. It's usually conflict resolution, not conflict transformation. So um, actually, maybe you could start by why you named it that, why you named it the transformation. Yes, thank you. And it is uh, great to be with you after a long time. Thank you. I haven't Very seen long you time. in a while. Uh, no. I decided, uh, we decided to change the name from the solution to transformation because we want to transform the lives of people and not only to resolve the conflict. And here I'm talking about uh, internal problems, domestic it, violence. More internal than, problems. More than um, the issue of occupation. Although we like to transform the relationship after liberation and throughout the struggle, but at this moment transformation is much more mature word that leads to better relationship among people and to lead to create innovative solutions to the situation and not only to think that okay the conflict is settled but to go beyond that that's why i choose the word transformation i love that i love that it's so much more powerful and like you say mature um, well, let me back up a little bit and talk about, I think listeners and viewers may not have any idea where you are or, or what's going on. So um, you are located in the beautiful, much beloved city of Bethlehem uh, in Palestine, in the West Bank. And, uh, and you started this organization back in 1994, which was a pivotal time. Uh, or, or meant to be a pivotal time in Palestinian history. Um, this is the second attempt at having a conversation with Zugbi. We started yesterday. Yesterday was an incredibly violent um, day in the West at West Bank, Palestine, uh, in particular in the Jenin refugee camp where uh, nine people were nine is. Palestinians were killed by Israeli soldiers, um, another one in Jerusalem. Um, and I was slightly aware of that before our conversation started. But then uh, as I was speaking with Zugbi, I found out that there was violence going on, um, an uprising and uh, a lot a lot of things happening as right then, in, even in Bethlehem where he is located. So uh, our internet was stopped and we had to resume today. So we're kind of picking up a little bit from yesterday's conversation. Um, and just to, to start by addressing that situation, if you wouldn't mind, I will tell you that most listeners, uh, many listeners and viewers of this podcast are not familiar with the situation in Palestine. So uh, we'll just talk a little bit about, you know, the idea was to speak more about your work in conflict resolution, but this is so important that I want to start with what's going on right now in Palestine. So if you can just tell me what happened yesterday around Bethlehem and how things are today, um, and then we can move into the rest of the conversation. You know, um, like every day, 
the Israeli troops invade areas, take people to prison, especially young people and children, uh, demolish houses, confiscate land, and of course, in this process, some people died, killed, wounded, and some are imprisoned. And what is happening also between Jerusalem and Jericho, the Israeli uh, troops trying to demolish the community uh, houses and centers, the schools of Al Khan Al Ahmar, which is that a, a village or a community mm -hmm. which lived there after they were kicked out from the Negev, came to live near Mali Odomim, before Mali Odomim, the site of this settlement. People were there living, then they cleared them off to other place, and, uh, you know, uh, so again. Israel would like to have more settlers in E1 to connect the settlers uh, mm -hmm. from Southwest Bank to Northwest Bank to E1 area, which is between Jerusalem and Jericho by uh, ethnically cleansing the Palestinian presence in these areas. So, and of course, around Bethlehem, there are more settlements uh, building, there are more confiscation of land, there are more lack of freedom of movement, and, um, you know, there is no geographical continuity between different parts. So, no, what continuity? Geographical. Continuity. Geographical. Okay. Continuity. Right, sure. In, uh, south, north, east, west of the right. area. Israel is in control mm -hmm. of 87% of Bethlehemite area, the mm -hmm. governor rate of Bethlehem, 87% is under the Israeli control whether for uh, settlements, whether for bypass roads, whether for the wall, uh, and of course there are at least 23 settlements around Bethlehem mm -hmm. and 25 outposts surrounding Bethlehem so uh, to rule out any possibility of any viable community living together and having their own freedom on their land. So this you know, is a small picture of what is happening in the West Bank. And has been for some time, uh, several years. And, you know, this morning, a lot of people are talking about Palestine today on the news and in society here because of what happened yesterday, because of the huge spike in, in violence. Um, and in fact, this morning on CNN, there was an interview with the, um, I don't know her exact title, but the head of uh, Amnesty International about the report that they came out with calling this the state of apartheid. And um, it, it was interesting that today that they were spent maybe 10 minutes interviewing someone, um, the head of uh, Amnesty International about the report saying that it is not just a violation of civil rights, but actually 
a state of apartheid, which, of course, many people have said for many, many years, but the situation continues to deteriorate to the extent that it's hard to argue that it's anything else. So uh, to back up and talk about, you are the founder and the executive director of WEAM, the Conflict Transformation Center, Palestinian Conflict Transformation Center in Bethlehem. Um, you're a Christian. You... Uh, are embedded. Your family's been, I think, in Bethlehem hundreds of years. Is that right? I know yes. I read. Yeah. Um, and you're married to an American woman and you have four children. And you started this center in, I think, 1994. Four. Yeah. Yes. Can you talk about what was going on then? Because it was a much different time. We're coming up on the 30th anniversary of the of your opening and, and of the Oslo Accords. And I think that's about the time when you started. So what, what was going on? What were you doing prior to that time before you started as a career or if you're working in conflict resolution? And then why did you start the center specifically? I, I have been activist working with the community since I was a younger student at the high school. Hmm. And I was involved in five spheres, I would like to say. Sports, uh, you know, uh, mediation. And I, I was uh, as peer mediation okay. mediator for in, in high school. Okay. At high school. I was uh, working, you know, I was a student. Mm. And I was in sports. And, uh, you know, I was working between the legs of my elderly. So I learned a lot about mediation. Okay. And uh, from an early age at the high school, I was elected uh, in the student government and then in the university level. So you could say from early age, I was community organizer. Hmm. And of course, I am member of eight uh, siblings. My father died when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. My younger sister was three months old. So uh, this gives me a different image of the society. And thank heavens, after my father died, I had a very compassionate mother, very loving mother, mm -hmm. who would like us as, and she succeeded, investing in education, investing in community building, investing to belonging to the land and to care for others. So, uh, and I learned a lot of compassion from her mm. and uh, empathy. So I was raised in this loving atmosphere, a loving mother, very dedicated, very committed, and a larger uh, family, and of course, a bigger community. Mm -hmm. So this pushed me to do a lot of things. And my mother taught me a lot of nonviolence and how to resist without using violence, without hurting others. You learned and that from I your learned, mother. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I learned a lot from my elderly. Um, Yes, my father passed away when I was young, but I have other brothers sure. who older me than me and other 
relatives who are, of course, older than me, mm -hmm. the ways of mediation and to be part of the community and to be involved in the community at a larger scale. We'd okay. like to see, to say happy with those who are happy, to mourn with those who are mourning. So I belong to the society. Yeah. And later on, when I was graduating, I graduated from the university, you know, I thought, you know, I, I uh, had different jobs. One of them is to teach at the local uh, school. I was not allowed to teach in Bethlehem area because the Israeli uh, occupation didn't allow me, even uh, fought against me to have uh, a job at a private school. So I was able to find uh, a job uh, in Jerusalem. At that time, the private schools are not controlled by the Israeli um, you know, security. Uh, there was a way to be in teaching there. And then I was working with uh, a Middle East Council of Churches, mm -hmm. as well as Middle East Witness, which is a parallel organization to witness for peace in Nicaragua. And it was oh. founded wow. by FOR, American FOR, Fellowship of Reconciliation. Okay. Um, so then I couldn't go to Jerusalem because the Israeli government didn't give me a permit. I, I founded a center called WEAM. WEAM in Arabic means agape, unconditional love. So um, yes, I love to teach, but I couldn't teach in the West Bank. So I invested more in uh, the work that I used to do voluntary in peer mediation, in mediation, mm -hmm. in community building, in organizing the community, in creating healthy atmosphere, invest in the relationship among many uh, members of the society, regardless to their faith, regardless to their political association, regardless okay. to any kind of affiliation. And, uh, so this, what, what year did you graduate from college? Do you remember? Yes, 1985. 85. So um, just so other anyone listening would understand this was prior to the time there was any self-determination we'll call it self-determination um for palestinians because prior to the 1994 oslo accords there was full occupation uh in the west bank and i understand there's still full occupation but structurally at that time you were under full 100 percent occupation but you were still not able to go to Jerusalem? And yeah. I don't understand, why, is that why, why wouldn't they let you teach? Like, who was teaching in the public schools? Or like, private why schools. We, I believe or, they or, were you, screening, screening us. And they think, since I was a student activist at Bethlehem University oh, okay. and at mm -hmm. high school, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, they didn't allow me to teach, although okay. I was summoned by different school administration to do and the government run school we couldn't do it because it is automatically under the military occupation private schools have some kind of freedom but okay. at that time was not able to teach in one uh, school so i went to jerusalem and i found a school to teach called dar which was founded 
to house students who are orphans from their Yassin massacre. Uh, you know, and this yeah, is know. the foundation of it by uh, Miss Hindul Husseini, God bless her heart. But mm -hmm. then I was there at the time uh, in the 80s from 85 to 87 almost, taught a couple of years in Jerusalem. Um, and then I went to University of Notre Dame to do my master's degree in peace studies and conflict transformation, conflict resolution at that time. In the United States. In the United University States. Notre yeah. I came back in 1990 uh, to prepare, uh, you know, I, I engaged to my uh, wife now, it was at that time, and to prepare for the wedding uh, after I got my degree. But when my fiance came to Palestine, she found me in the, in the prison. You know, I have been in prison several times. This is under well, I the didn't know that. British yeah. administrative detention. It's not a lot of time. This is according to the law, which says every Palestinian is guilty until proven innocent. So they will round us around uh, the end of the year because they are afraid that we will be active. And when what I year say is active, this? maybe writing graffiti, taking part wow. in demonstration, distributing leaflets. Um, but they didn't file a charge against me. So mm -hmm. I spent from time to time there. And when my wife, uh, my fiance at that time, uh, came to see me, she was, I was in Dahiriya prison. Uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, so anyhow, to make the longer story short, I was released after a while, after many interventions, after lawyers, after mm -hmm. human rights organizations, because they couldn't prove anything. And uh, I was caught in the Hesha camp with two other Americans. One was teaching peace studies at Manchester College, which has been a brethren college, where the professor was my wife now, uh, uh, mm -hmm. or fiancé at that time, teacher, and another woman from California. They found us in a refugee camp called the Hesha. They took mm -hmm. us all to prison. The two American flashed their passports after we were in the Jeep. They released them, but they took me to Dahriya, and then they moved me mm -hmm. to a Russian compound prison in Jerusalem, Al-Far'a uh, prison in Nablus. But I was also a uh, frequent visitor to the prison during the period uh, when I was younger uh, under administrative detention. And this mm -hmm. administrative detention that the authorities could take you from four days to six months, renewable to five years without any charge. So, and one third of the... Has that changed? Yeah, and one third, I mean, that hasn't really... Yeah, go ahead, sorry. One third of the male population of mm -hmm. Palestinian men have been in prison, which is under the law called British Emergency Regulation Laws of 1945. When the British mandate left us, they nullify it, but the Israeli government became more British than the Queen, and they kept it. <laughs> uh, but right. anyhow, that didn't stopped me from being active. Uh, and then I had a job, as I mentioned, with the Middle East witness. 
with the Middle East Council of Churches, um, and I was able to go to Jerusalem, despite the Gulf War at that time. But later on, I was not allowed uh, to go to Jerusalem. I don't have a permit. Uh, and since I was a volunteer in these areas before I founded Wiham, uh, in 1994, I decided uh, to found Wiham and to work in this uh, church-related organization. So when you founded it, what was the basis? I mean, it was a pivotal moment, right, in, in history because all of a sudden uh, things were changing in the West Bank, in, in uh, Bethlehem, so that theoretically for five, there was supposed to be a five-year interim after the Oslo Accords that were signed in 93, saying that there should be self-rule within certain limited areas. Bethlehem is one of those areas. Like, for example, where you are right now, you're located in area A. A but my office which is in area C. Oh, your office is in area C. I didn't Next know that. Next to the wall. Um, yeah, I've know. been there many, many times, but I thought I did not realize that was area C. So um, b before we get too much into the, the weeds for areas A, B, and C, I just wanted to say so that you started... What was the impetus right then to start it at that moment? Because, was it because I emerged from the student movement and I thought if we are able to organize our people, especially the youth, it will be much more hopeful for a better society, okay. for a better community, for a future might be based on justice, activism, and separation of the three powers you know um, and also the three powers what are the three powers you know later on when I started uh, uh, to have a Palestinian authority the three powers is the executive you know power judicial oh. power a legislation power you know oh and uh, two powers the whole of the government. idea establishing the center is to empower the civil society walk and talk to invest in youth uh, in leadership, to empower women uh, walk and talk, to have gender sensitivity approach that, yes, we are looking and struggling to have liberation, but we would like to have gender justice too, and we'd like to have uh, justice on all levels among our society. We were not only struggling against occupation through nonviolent right. uh, techniques and skills, but also to invest in a society that will be void of violence, void of conflict, that will uh, resort to peaceful uh, resolution of conflicts, because we are not also angels. We have our own challenges internally and course, to, right. to uh, uh, work with children, because we thought from the early beginning uh, lots of children have traumas nowadays more than before. And as you know, there is no post-traumatic stress disorder. It is an ongoing trauma, layer after layer. It is a current one. Oh. And we, what we decided to wow. work on trauma coping and not trauma healing, because again, we don't no, have post-traumatic stress disorder. So from the beginning, so, we work with women, kids, youth, advocacy, as well as 
en medeersen. So there's three areas that that you mentioned that I know that you focus on that I just wondered if you could speak to each one just a little bit individually. Um, and that is, as you mentioned, gender violence, nonviolent resistance, and international diplomacy. If we can just like kind of drill down on those three. Um, I'm curious about gender violence, first of all, because you have, uh, you empower women. And this is, is, is this a particular problem in in your community with gender violence or is it the same as it is anywhere else in the world um i mean we have it here in the united states as well obviously that we have more domestic violence than before at the time when we started and now it is increasing and during COVID, Mm -hmm. it was skyrocketing Mm -hmm. as it was in many places around the world yes that that in yeah and, uh, insular so setting. We try to address <laughs> that to address the domestic violence uh, at large, and also since I was raised by my mother and elder brothers, and my mother has a lot to <clears throat> impact me. I one of the backbone of our work was the woman empowerment. And not only resolving conflicts and defending the woman's right, especially with inheritance. You know, in our society, patriarchal society, farmers mentality, even now there are not any more land for farming, but at that time, um, because they would like to keep lands in the name of the men at that time, of the sons. Uh Uh, they try to find a way to uh, not let the woman take their inheritance. Second, you know, this is part of the displacement of anger when Palestinians are not able to go to Jerusalem to work or find a decent job and humiliated by the Israeli soldiers. And many of these soldiers are kids, 16, 17, 18. They go back to their homes, displace their anger on their wives, Mm-hmm. on their children, on their mm-hmm. sisters, on, you know, the mm-hmm. weakest society. So right. we emerged to empower the woman, talk and walk. And also at early age, even we don't have lots of resources, we're able to help in finding jobs through our networking. And uh, we were thinking of women economic empowerment at early age to mm-hmm. find job for women mm-hmm. to do some work offices and outside so and we focus on three things when we talk about women and gender issues on uh, un 1325 which talks about security council 1325 which talks about oh, women security. peace and security you know and we work nowadays mm-hmm. in different corners of the west bank especially in marginalized areas in the south or the north in Jericho, everywhere we reach. Then we talk about SIDAO, the Convention on Elimination of All Discrimination Against Women. And the third one, try to lobby and to entice our local government to uh, accept and legalize the the, uh, family protection law. You know, 
the local government, meaning like the mayor's office in, in, in Bethlehem or in, in all of Palestine? In all, with other NGOs, with other okay. women organizations, with other okay. human rights organizations together to meet with okay. the women ministry, ministry of justice, to um, where to accept and to legalize and, you know, the uh, family protection law. So we were there. So we have the walk and talk. Whenever uh, there is mm -hmm. violence against uh, gender, against women, we go to the streets with other organizations, uh, whether in Bethlehem or go to Ramallah, or uh, and to be part of networking with other 18 women and development organizations. We also network with churches like the Anglican Church, the Lutheran Church, uh, Catholic Church advocating that. Uh, to defend the women's rights and to defend people's rights in general, not necessarily only uh, women, because when we talk about violence, it hits hard the core of the family, men and women, but usually yes, and children, women and, and children, children are the victims of violence. Yeah. Right. Can people come to WIAM if they, can women and children or even men come to WIAM if they themselves are experiencing violence, yes. gender violence in particular, they come to and us come for protection? And we also have outreach program, and sometimes they prefer not to come, okay. but to call us to their yeah. homes, to their places, so we go. Okay. And sometimes it is a private psychosocial counseling, or it will be part of the community. Hmm. If, if there was an wow. attack on women in public, we deal with it in public because safety in numbers. That's really and good. Also, we offer psychosocial support, and we network with different uh, groups, with different NGOs, with different church-related organizations in empowering the woman and move forward. Okay, and let's... Let's just, um, in the interest of time, because I want to invest in all of these areas, but let's turn, if we could, to non-violent non resistance, um, which I think was maybe one of the earliest uh, reasons for forming WIAM. And I, I know that you've said uh, personally when I've been there, and as well as I think it says on your website, that the your actual presence there uh, at WIAM, with having a garden, with having classes, with having workshops, with having international visitors, so many people. Every time I've been there, I've seen people from all over the world come to visit. That having, and to talk about peace and conflict resolution, and that just by your very being there, right under the separation wall, is a form of nonviolent resistance. It's, you're, you're demonstrating peace, you're demonstrating reconciliation, and you're doing it under the under the physical presence of something that represents quite the opposite. Bless um, you. Um, yeah. So, Nonviolence so is not only a strategy for struggle, but also is a way of life. We are surrounded by violence. We are under violent occupation, whether on the personal level or the family level, or the community level, or on the national level. And for me, when I talk about nonviolence, is the way to struggle, as well as I was uproot by my family to continue in this less traveled road. 
And uh, that doesn't mean the Israeli security will not hurt people who actively uh, involved in non-violence struggle, or what we call it, unarmed struggle, you know. And many of the young people and kids who are in prison is a result of their struggle non-violently. And I tell you, from, um, you know, the late 18th century and 19th century, and now, up till now, people resort to two types of struggle, non-violent and armed struggle. The armed, the non-violent struggle was the largest, although we might not call it non-violent, we call it unarmed struggle, because when you talk unarmed, in a way it gives power to the people. And because many times the word non-violence is misused by the power to be or the great powers in the world, you know? And this yes. is the scene, oh, it has been throughout and history. see it in double standard, you know, mm-hmm. in dealing with Ukraine. You know, the, the world sends so, weapons, difficult uh, scenario there, but weapons, money, honey, for the people to, resor- to resist the Russians. And here, if a Palestinian mm-hmm. uses a stone, there is a prefix for us, either terrorists or extremists or fundamentalists. So for us, I join, you know, yes. if it is... Uh, yeah, Irony is strong. Is, uh, to me, it's up to me. So we, I resort to nonviolence, and we are actively involved in nonviolence. We teach in the schools, universities, and NGOs, and uh, men's conference, young women, young men, activism. And I think, to be frank with you, if we want to move forward from this deadlock to a better lock, we need three dimensions of the struggle. And I call it struggle because no way at this moment that the oppressor will give us a carte blanche and say, okay, you are free. We need to struggle. No. So nonviolent struggle that is not of the oppressed where we have active approach to get rid of being under occupation. You know, this is the first thing. The Palestinians should continue in this road. The second, the pro-peace camp in Israel, pro-justice camp, despite it is a small, but it is a ray of hope for us. And they need to continue with their preventive approach of nonviolence to help their government get rid of being the occupier. And the third one is people like you, third party, you could say from community groups, uh, NGOs, international NGOs, human rights groups, to governments, to empower the weak, but to bring the strong to their senses and not to their knees. I'm not interested to bring the Israeli to their knees. I'm interested to bring them to their senses because what I want to to celebrate life and not death. Uh, and this is a way, the three dimensions of the struggles. And when I talk about that, I think the international dimension is very important because at this moment, we need international pressure on Israel to protect the Palestinian civil uh, you know, people and to protect us from this aggression and barbaric attack, as well as to help 
to keep the status quo of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Judaized every day, and Jerusalem is attacked every day, the holy places, the people. And, uh, and Israel would like to claim Jerusalem exclusively, and this is not healthy. So the, the world involvement is very important. We saw the collective responsibility at work in ending the apartheid regime in South Africa and dismantling the Berlin Wall and ending the conflict in Northern Ireland. So we want the collective responsibility, whether by governments and by people, NGOs, human rights organizations, to be successful in helping the Palestinian to be free, as well as to create another small sphere for peace, justice, and coexistence. Without that, will continue this conflict for uh, ages to come. And from the time to time, we might have a truce. I tell you, frankly, the atmosphere right. is very poison at this moment. Palestinians at this mm -hmm. moment, uh, some of them are hopeless, and many of them, and even helpless. And they will say, if we have a new prime minister in Palestine called Ganti, uh, Martin Luther King, would be the uh, president, um, Mother Teresa, the minister of social affairs, and so on. <laughs> Israel will not withdraw from any inch in the West Bank. So uh, they ask okay. for so international let, community involvement. Sorry. I see. Uh, no, no, no. I, I appreciate what you just said because, so you're saying regardless of what you do, there will be Israelis of their own volition will not withdraw. Um, I, I want to ask you to, you, you mentioned three things uh, in the struggle, three, three pieces of the struggle, internally nonviolent, re, nonviolence resistance against the occupation. Uh, that's one camp. The second camp would be the people, Israelis, uh, Israelis inside Israel who could work against um, the occupation who could work with their government to change their government to like yes, to have a, or a, a, a woman in black. There's uh, many groups. Israeli committee yes, against so many groups. Despite they are small in number, right. but they are a ray of hope. They're vocal. They are a ray of hope, and then um, also, then you mentioned the outside the community organizations, NGOs, whether it's Amnesty, could be U.S., could be uh, the U.N., could be the uh, outside governments. However, so my question is, when I look at these three areas, I don't see progress in any of them. You know, I've been coming to that region. I first came in 1994. I was in Gaza in 94. I've been back um, 2004, 2008, and then many, many times since then. Um I've seen many groups inside Israel working for peace. I've seen many people, many Palestinians themselves, like, like yourself, working for nonviolent resistance. And I've seen a lot of outside uh, agencies and a lot of in the international community. Where The only place where I see progress personally is in, and it's slow, but it has been like the BDS movement and things happening outside of Israel and outside of Palestine, not with governments, but with um, an awareness raising among people around the world. There seems to be more concern as slowly building as it is 
in the outside world that I, it seems to me it has to come from pressure okay. from the outside because it doesn't feel like it's happening in inside either. Even of your it's not areas. coming from outside. I don't want to be seen as naive, no, but as if uh, it yes. is working. No, it's not working. You know, if it is working, we couldn't see a very right wing government formed in Israel, and we're having two. Right. Perspective, among yeah. many others, and Netanyahu, you know, and uh, with its oppressive uh, approaches towards us, with our, with their new laws, with their new, um, you know, for example, there is a silly law, no, a silly law to worse. say for Palestinians, if you want to be in love with someone from outside, you should inform the Israeli government in order to give her or him a permit to come to Palestine. Oh, come on. What is this kind of law? And, and people talk about Israel as the only democratic uh, state in the whole Middle East. You know, such silly laws. Or uh, I have been living here for many years as a family and uh, as a Palestinian Christian. Uh, and I married to one person uh, from the States, American, and I couldn't live with her since 1990. For 32 years, she is a visitor in my home. Every three to six months, I renew her visa. Look how much money, how much drain on my energy, on resources, on sanity, on not knowing the future. While in 1950, mm -hmm. Israel has law called the law of return. Any person who claims his or her great-grandmother is Jewish, could come on Aliyah to live in Palestine, Israel, regardless to his or her fiancé, without any restrictions. So I don't know what they call these. So I think our struggle... I think they call that human rights abuses. This I think is what really they call that. a, a I mean. very moderate term, you know. Some people call it racist. I know. Call it... I'm just trying to find a word for it. You know, and I know it is not going well, to change within a few years or a few months, or, but I think that's why we need to continue the struggle non-violently uh, from my side. And according to you, and anyone is under occupation has the right to resist by all means, including armed struggle. But for me, as a person who believes in non-violence, an unarmed struggle, unarmed struggle. I continue to that in this last traveled road. Well, I wonder what the, um, there's certainly Palestinians living in, in Jinni, well, living everywhere in the West Bank, who must see your struggle, your nonviolent approach as one that has not worked. And I would, is there pressure on you from other Palestinians to say, we've tried that, we've tried that for decades, the we've gotten nowhere. Um, are more pluralistic than anyone thinks. And we have diversity in our society. Yeah. As they said about Jews, yes. between two, two Jews there are three opinions. I will say between two Palestinians there are five opinions. You know? And, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I wouldn't condemn any type of struggle, but I wouldn't condone it. You know? And... Uh, I, uh, I I like to save lives rather to celebrate life rather than death, and 
we, we are tough on the system, soft on the people. And uh, everyone has the right to struggle the way he or she. But if it is to me, it's up to me. So that's, uh, and uh, you know, we look at this government as oppressive uh, government, but also, uh, you know, there is opportunity in this government. I tell you frankly, when in which government, government are you referring to the Palestinian the, or the Israeli, Israeli government behavior Israeli. and acts because the world will see the real behavior of such an aggressive government. Maybe look at the American Jewish community are not happy. Look at the Jewish voices for peace are not happy. Oh, I know. Look at the demonstrations in Israel, right. in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. Um, I don't know. Yes, I know Netanyahu will use a different uh, way to let people rally after him. He wants to wage a war against Iran. He wants to say uh, we are against the Palestinians. He wants to give a lot to the settlers. But in the long run, such uh, approach will not help him or help the Israeli community or the Jewish community at large. Israel, yes, might have 8 million Jews they have or like that, but not all the Jews around the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, when we right. talk about occupation, does not demoralize me as Palestinian only. It demoralizes Jews and also to the world. Why United States is supporting Israel unconditionally? Why the tax money comes to Israel without any kind of accountability? Well, that's a whole nother discussion. But honestly, I mean, it's as if Israel is just a, another yes. base for us. You know, I mean, that's there, there's so many reasons why but the arms sales and, and, you know, the weapons we have there. there. There's many reasons why we continue to overlook the abuses in Palestine to support Israel. It's not only because Americans support Israel. It's because Americans support Americans. And they see that in at least the government. And they see that as a as an and assistance really, to their um, uh, value the youth in the area. movement in America and the prophetic voices in the American people. And uh, I think we need to work with them to help the world, especially in the West, to get rid of being guilty. And they might help Israel to get rid of being the victim mentality. So it is really mm -hmm. collective responsibility so again road. should yeah. be acted to move forward. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we'll be slaves to our future. Let me ask you, um, the other night, just two nights ago, um, I heard, I think, uh, Jonathan, Kut Kut how do you pronounce his name, Kutab? He wrote a book called Beyond the Two-State Solution. He's a Palestinian uh, K-U-T-T-A-B. How do you do Yes, it? yes, good job, Kutab, You're not familiar with him? Okay. Yes. So he wrote this book beyond, and, and I asked, so I was on a, um, a Zoom conversation. He was talking about this book beyond the two-state solution. And I asked him if he has hope because, uh, it looks kind of hopeless sometimes, you know, uh, you've been living there. I don't know how old you are, but your entire life, this has been the situation you've been in. So I'm sure it must be, uh, difficult to hold on to hope and i'm wondering if you do if and if your children do and if you're able to pass hope along if you take the long view 
Because the short view is not hopeful, but the long I, view. I believe we cannot is. live without hope, and we cannot live without faith. Hope and faith are two faces of the same value, and for me, hope is a form of non-violent struggle. To be enhancing the hope oh, of people is part of the struggle, and. You know, as Martin Luther King says, no injustice will last forever. You know, th there is inevitability mm -hmm. to end this oppression, this occupation. And one person uh, in the defines diplomacy is as the art of delaying the inevitable. And Israel is delaying the inevitable. Hmm. Look at this. Demographically, we talk about Palestinians and Israeli Jews are equal living in Israel, Palestine, and I'm talking about demography. They couldn't get rid of us. They couldn't really. I could be some Palestinians now. They talk about a transfer that this government will again have transfer against us. Will this? Well, that would be that. That would be met with a lot of. Uh derision around the well, world if that the, were to be the free world allow it so again this is part of the hope that the demographic uh, struggle is very important uh, second uh, I am a student of history uh, how we see South Africa moving from apartheid to now although it is not absolute justice how the Republicans and the conservative in Northern Ireland shared the government, how Berlin fell down, um, no, long, no matter how long the occupation will be, they couldn't control us forever. And if Israel wants to live in this Middle East, they should have good relationship with the others who are surrounding us. Yes, Israel approaching the Arab regimes in a fake approach, in a fake rapprochement, thinking that if they have signed a treaty with the Arab leaders, they will have good relationship with the people. And we saw in the Qatar uh, World Cup Mundial how Israel it was isolated. That's you know? not the case. <laughs> and so the Arab masses yeah. will not. Yeah. Yes, the Arabs and the Muslims and the Palestinians and uh, those who are oppressed in bad situation now. But life is not 10 years, not 100 years. Yes, I like to see change here. And that's why I cling to mm -hmm. hope. I mm -hmm. see hope in my kids, despite what happened to their mothers, to their mother here, they decide to finish their education and mm -hmm. to come back. You know, they decide that this is their home. Yes, they have the freedom to live in the States, okay. but they wanted in the long run to be here. I see hope in the eyes of the kids, in the eyes of the youth, in the eyes of the women. I see also in the international awareness approach that, um, you know, they don't like injustice to continue. And there are two powers, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. The multinational corporations supported by the power to be, and the second one is the power of the people. At this moment, we, the power of the people is not at its peak. But who knows? Things might change. What will happen after Ukraine? Do you think the world will be silent? Change. 
you know, the destruction of Europe, the destruction of Ukraine, the the threat of nuclear war. Do you think people will pass over it in a few years without thinking differently? I think um, there will be some change. And this is where uh, I have hope, where I have faith that at the end, no one would like to see slaves or to be a slave, except those who are dealing with arms, who would like to have cheap oil, who would like to work with multinational corporations without any ethics or morality, but they are minority, but they make a lot of noise and they make a lot of profit based on the slavery of others. And they have a lot of and power. They, have, of they have a lot of power. But re resistance has power as well. If, if you, let me, we're getting toward the end of our, our time, but I'm, would you do this again? Would you live this life again uh, in the same way if you were to start WEM, if you were to um, consider taking on something so intractable, so difficult as nonviolence in a, in a, the most, I don't want to say violent neighborhood, in the, but the most conflicted neighborhood in the world, you're taking on probably the hardest thing that there, there is. The I'm most, living it. I'm living it. The most it. difficult to achieve. Huh? And I have, I have lived and life you're is a matter it? of choices. Yeah. And I chose this yeah. uh, way. Uh, and you I choose will, it again? I will continue because it is a strong belief yeah. that uh, human lives are sanct sanctified, are holy, are sacred. Any loss of any person is a loss of humanity. As John Donne says, don't ask for whom yes. the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. So in a way or another, it is a way of choice. I tell you frankly, I have a choice to go to the States. And live there. Yeah, uh, I but, was wondering. You could but live I there. I decided yeah. to have this choice. And I have very encouraging wife. Despite it costs us a lot to have this kind of life. It costs uh, yeah. us a lot of pain, a lot of stress, but money. and money. Money. <laughs> But yeah. we decide to continue yeah. with it. And yeah. I tell you, we are not going yeah. to leave. Whatever the power, whether the... Grinch will steal lives, but we will continue to live it because I want to celebrate life. And the most important thing, I like to celebrate it with others. And for me, the other is a sister or brother. And I know that it is crazy to say such things after such a bloody massacre in Jenin, but many Palestinians are talking about that. And even the PLO had a meeting yesterday or the day before and they emphasize the uh, unarmed struggle. Yes, in the leadership and they say let us stop the coordination with the authority, with the Israeli occupation and so on. So people, yes. but the world uh -huh. is not giving the Palestinians the opportunity to see their freedom, to live, to be in telling the world about their story. Yes, look what is happening. I was in different places in the world in the last few months where my wife was a prisoner here. She is not allowed to go to Jerusalem. She was not allowed to go to Area C. She was not allowed to drive a yellow license car. She was not allowed 
to go and come freely from the Lid Airport, Tel Aviv <laughs> Airport, but she has taken the opportunity to stay here. So, you know, it is really yeah. a life. It's a choice. Yes, it's a it choice. Is. It's, it's a non-resistant not... choice. Yes, I mean, a non-violent resistance. I mean, again, yes. uh, her being... no, no matter what is happening, I think, as we say, the dawn is coming. No matter how long the darkness of the night, the dawn will come. So, tell me, tell me how people can help you best. First of all, your doors are open; yes. anyone can come and visit you, right? Um, and I would encourage everyone to do it. I, as I don't know if I mentioned this, but I've taken, I've brought many, many groups, uh, both youth and teenagers and older people to WeAm to Bethlehem, and you are the one person and the one center. Um, that everyone asks about and everyone, I just got a text yesterday from my sister who was there many, many years ago. And she said, what, what was that place that we, we visited in Bethlehem? What's happening? So something that you have done, your, your voice for, for peace in the, in the face of so much violence and, and bloodshed and difficulty, um, it resonates in every single person of all the, of all the ones that we went to see anywhere in Israel, we see settlers, we see, we go to the, uh, refugee camps. Everyone remembers your voice because it's always been a comfort to know that there's someone who carries on sort of that, that Gandhi-esque uh, approach to life. And it's hard. And yeah, so I would encourage know, people to come and visit you because you, do, you, say, you have, provide so much have a sign uh, direction. and On our center says, come, see, reflect and act you know come and see and witness yeah. reflect and act um, yes is that the and best way like people can help people you coming visit and what we offer using the stones figure we love yeah. them to see the holy stones but also encourage them to meet the living oh. stones and to be introduced to the rolling stones of the socio-economic political conditions. And we tell the world there is a room in the end and we are happy to help you arrange your program itinerary when you come and visit. And this is very important. And also, let me say, it is not only bad uh, situation that we live in, but look, I was in the South Sudan a few months ago and they elected me to be with modesty the i4 president of i4 international fellowship of reconciliation where we are wow 50, congratulations that's huge i mean we it, are representing me, 50 yeah. <laughs> uh, countries we have more than 74 uh, what they call it affiliates uh, branches wow. uh, and and we you know we are not looking only at the issue of Palestine to be free from the occupation. We want to work sure. for justice everywhere. As Martin Luther King says, any injustice anywhere is a fringe on justice everywhere. So we talk about collective approach. We want to see an end to the Ukraine war. We want to see an end to the slavery of the people in Africa to the oppression in Latin America. We are part of this global village. 
No man is an island. No woman is an mm -hmm. island. We should together assume collective responsibility. Thank you so much. We will. I will put your information in the show notes about how to get in touch with you. Your website is the best way. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, and I would just encourage everyone. It's it, you know we make it. It is dangerous at times. But as a, if you're an American or European or someone traveling from outside of Israel Palestine, it's very safe and it's very easy to visit. It's um, very powerful experience. In the end, and I encourage everyone. And we to have. Go and, Wonderful hospitality with tea and coffee, and we can we read have your the best portrait. food on the planet. <laughs> okay, it sounds like a deal, and I will come back and visit soon. Thank you so much, Zugbi, for uh, for spending this time. I know it's a difficult time, and um, as as it always is, but I appreciate it so much. And thank God you, Godspeed. I wish you well. Wish you peace.